Welcome to Dragon Talk, everybody. Hey! We're very excited to be here at yes. the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast. I am Greg Tito, and I'm joined by uh, construction worker Shelly Mazanoble. Yeah, you can hear the air horns in the background. That is not construction. That is people really excited for this episode of Dragon Talk. They are no, sanding down everything to a nice smooth finish uh, for um, this yes. podcast. So sorry. Sorry about that. But yeah, uh, my basement's being rebuilt after the great flood of 2020, mm. after it was torn down. I will like to say, though, that this construction company has been very gracious about our podcast schedule. <laughs> and they are, they are scheduling maybe a thousand jobs around Seattle. And this woman is so nice to me. And she's like... Tell me again when your podcast. Okay, so we'll make sure that guys go to lunch when you're recording, oh, that's and or she's like scheduling the insulation for for when, the days that we record because like obviously like, what's quieter than insulation? It's just soft fuzzy stuff. And then finally she goes, "What is your podcast anyway?" Like we've been talking for like three months, and I was like, "Oh, it's Dragon Talk, the official Dungeons and Dragons podcast." And she goes, "Oh." Hmm. I was not expecting that. <laughs> that was, uh, that was <laughs> a curveball. Not what I expected you to say, but wow, that sounds really cool. Great. <laughs> well, maybe you so got a new fan. She's going to start listening. Hi. You know what? She will. Yeah. Hi, Dina. Thank you for everything. Welcome, You're the best. Dina. Uh, hopefully you can roll some dice with us uh, as we talk to some fantastic people here for this episode. We are... Uh, having Sarah Thompson on as a guest. You might recognize Yay. her from uh, designing some amazing stuff for uh, many TRPGs, uh, including uh, uh, Dungeons & Dragons, uh, a, a, a wheelchair that you can use in combat, which is pretty awesome. Yes, very awesome. Uh, so we're going to talk to her all about that and her history with uh, playing Dungeons & Dragons uh, in the interview segment. As well, we have some fun segments uh, that we'll get to in a little bit. Uh, I'm excited about the return of Random Character Generator uh, with Brandy Camel. Um, you know, always always miss doing those uh, with Kate, but uh, Brandy is a wonderful improviser uh, and creative person, so it has been a joy to go back to rolling up random characters and making up uh, a story based on those numbers. So what are you going to do with all these awesome characters? Do you think one day you should just assign them to people and we'll just play a fun game of D&D with them? Oh, that's a good idea. Uh, but they are. I usually make them publicly available so that people can use them as NPCs based on what we come up with. Uh, and, you know, or as playable characters. I, I've th- if I'm doing a one-shot, I've taken to just doing the random uh, thing. It's more fun not planning out my, you know, first level character or whatever and just getting a random one and just seeing what happens. I'll tweak it a little bit sometimes if it's super non-optimal, but it's I love it. It's it's really great to uh stretch those muscles. I kind of I really like the idea now of playing a one-off where everybody just has to do a random character generator and you don't know what you're going to get, who you are, and you just make it up on the fly. Yeah. I want to do that. Let's do that. Let's do it. I think we should do it as like a, uh, some team builder. I've seen some conventions uh, and live stream kind of one-shots do that for charity as well, and it's, I, I find it fascinating because everybody's doing it all at the same time. They're all you know, pressing the random button together. Uh, so yeah, we should do that pretty soon. Uh, 
Yes. Yeah. You know, and I'll you do the same what, thing with uh, random monsters as the DM and just be like, oh, sorry, you're fighting a oh. lich. <laughs> and you've signed up to be the dungeon master. Yay. Yay. I love how that happens. Um, hey, speaking of one shots, do you know any good uh, products that might be good for dungeon masters who just want to run some maybe one to two evening sessions? You know what would be really great if it was like centered around like an iconic location in the Forgotten Realms and all of it was thematically oh. able to uh, jump into reading, oh, maybe like a like a library or an academy of some oh, kind. Is there any famous libraries? Oh, wouldn't it be cool though if they were like all like mysteries? <gasps> and you had to like solve it in just the course of a, a short adventure over a one-shot yes. session of two hours to three oh. hours each? But what if you were like, a level two or a level 16. You, I mean, we should provide the whole gamut of levels. Oh my God, now you're talking You know crazy. what would be really cool though? If we also brought in, uh, you know, people and contributors from all over the D&D community to, to like get this in an anthology. Okay, my mind is blown. Basically, this is random book generator and we just made the coolest, <laughs> pro- the coolest product ever. Bloop, 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 bloop. And out comes... Candlecape Mysteries. So cool. Ba- ladies and gentlemen, that is exactly how D&D products get made. Yeah, we just roll a die right. and uh, yep. throw a dart at a chart of things and get it all going. No, I'm excited so much about it. It's a lot more deliberate than that because having these one-shots <laughs> and uh, them all, you know, packaged up in this way is a great boon to Dungeon Masters and players out there. I think there's so many use cases for these types of adventures and they're all super creative they're all like outside anything that you might have seen before um and have new voices uh getting in, into them and so we can't wait for you to check out candle keep mysteries uh, on march yeah. 16th yes yes i am very excited me too yes um, we'll be having lots more previews about those showing up in all types of gaming media, hopefully in the next month or so. So look out for that. And we'll, of course, be talking to some of the contributors here on Dragon Talk uh, to highlight some of those stories. Yeah, that's going to be really fun. And, of course, it's always fun to have Chris Perkins back on the podcast. And I think that uh, he'll be one of those people that we get to talk to. It's true. He does like talking to us. Maybe we should bring him into your new basement uh, before... Uh, if it's snowing, uh, so that right. he doesn't get affected by any of the uh, the, oh, the cat allergies that he has. Do you do you know that was like almost exactly this time two years ago? Is it just two years ago? Apocalypse? I feel like it was three years ago. It was ago. just two. Really? Maybe. Yeah, actually, maybe it was three. I don't. I honestly don't remember. I think it was three because I was. I. I. You know, I have that feature on my phone where it shows you like you know pictures from this day. Um, and it was. I saw the picture that you and I took uh, up in up in your un- upstairs while we were recording oh, really? our episode, and I was like, "Oh, that was just three years ago." I think, yeah, that was like the last time there was a lot of snow in Seattle. Yes, yes, we've never we never had that again. I don't know that I'll ever get Chris Perkins to come back as long as I have a cat. <laughs> <laughs> well, the good thing is cats Jeez, live forever, so uh, you know he'll never that was come back. Fun. Knock on wood. I think she's already. She's been a lich for many, many years. So, speaking of playing D&D, yeah. there's a virtual play weekend coming up February 19th through the 21st. That's Sweet. This I love this, uh, this, this whole podcast. promotion. Say that again? Actually, why do I keep skipping a whole entire week of February? I, it's the next week. I'm just, 
I, it's like I had my birthday and now like the rest of February can just go to hell because <laughs> I just keep skipping like an entire week of this month. February 19th through the 21st. Check your calendars. I don't actually know if that's this weekend or next weekend or it already happened. No idea. <laughs> but there's a virtual play weekend like there is every month now. So if you got a hankering to play D&D but you have no one that is available to play with you or you don't have a dungeon master and you're just a bunch of players just roaming around in search of one, go sign up for a table at the virtual play weekend. That is what it's there for. So, uh, yeah, plenty of options. If you like to play on discord or zoom or Google hangouts there, there, there should be dungeon masters available on all of those different platforms and you're just going to have a great time. And these are some of the best dungeon masters out there. So Get in on a table. Do it. Have fun. Awesome. Go now. Yeah. It, there's something just really great about having um, a virtual community like that to jump into. And that's what the D&D Discord server is all about. Uh, you know, So it's been instrumental in setting up these virtual play weekends, but it's ongoing all the time. So uh, if you are interested in joining the, the D&D community and wanted to be a part of the conversation, that's a great way to start. Meet new people get um, uh, some uh, Dungeon Masters and players uh, together, even without the Virtual Play Weekend. But I love that there's also these, these focused events uh, where, where people can get together and play. And uh, it's such a great program. And more will be coming on that front soon. Um, I also want to shout out WizKids, who is making amazing miniatures. Some of the, the best that I've seen uh, in, in a long time. Um, I just was able to check out the Boneyard set, uh, which I think comes out in March. Oh, that sounds fun. Um, it has got tons of undead monsters in it, uh, as well as, you know, some some corporeal monsters. Um, there are a few that I've never seen before, and I just, you know, they, they're gross as heck, but they're really fun uh, to be able to throw uh, against your players. Um, and uh, they're available for pre-order now, and there's a couple of really fun uh, promo packs. One is orc skeletons, which you can get from your local game store uh, in various ways. You got to contact them and see how they are uh, getting those out there. Uh, so there's three skeletons that are of the orc variety in there. And there's the kobold skeleton pack, which is if you purchase or pre-order any of those through dndmini.com, you'll get that uh, kobold, which has four different poses of cobalt skeletons uh, that you can add into your game uh, while supplies last on both of those. Those promo packs are not not infinite, so there's an incentive to try and get that going early. And of course, um, we encourage everybody to go to your local game store as much as possible, but I do love that the dndmini.com allows you to kind of check out all of the WizKids offerings, including some really big hefty dragons that they have been creating. There's two new ones coming around this Boneyard set, uh, which my gaming group is, uh, you know, perhaps upset uh, to to see, but there's two Draco liches uh, that Uh-oh. that uh, are have a different flavor. There's a green one and a blue one, uh, which is pretty cool. The only Draco lich minis that I've seen have either been white dragon Draco liches or just kind of basic dragon liches that you can put any color on. But I like that they're adding. That uh, that color template, uh, so that the blue Dracolich, for example, has lightning breath uh, that is visible, which is pretty scary when you put it up against a medium-sized miniature. Uh oh! I've got some pictures of that on my Twitter feed, uh, so go check out uh, there if you want to ch- uh, see what some of those miniatures look like in comparison. Um, but of course, dndmini.com 
has other pictures that you can check out, but at least you'll be able to see my game room uh, in the background when you look at my pictures. And who doesn't want to see that? Yeah. Um, and shout out to uh, Crafting Muse on Twitter for sending me all these WizKid stuff. Uh, she's been doing great work there. One of the cool things is that in this Boneyard set, all of the bases are clear so that if you're using mm-hmm. terrain or using any kind of um, uh, drawing, uh, you can see through the bases of the miniature to kind of add that immersion. There's not this black circle underneath every single miniature, which I think is a, a really cool, cool touch. cool. That is nice. Yeah. They think of everything over there at WizKids. They're doing good stuff. They really are. Love it. In our house, we call them baby monsters. Oh. And um, yeah. yeah. Quinn, he's a big fan of the baby monsters. That's valid. Uh, we also call them, uh, you know, caltrops because I will step on them and they hurt me a lot. Oh, yeah. I actually stepped on a, an action figure in the bathroom just before this podcast. Oh, yeah. And he caused D4 damage. Mm-hmm. Four points. Ooh, step- Ow. Stepping on a D4 had that happen too, and that does not feel good. <laughs> not great. There's no good feelings about that. Absolutely. No. no. <laughs> well, let us uh, have some good feelings by talking to Brandy Camel for some random character generator. Let's give a listen. Welcome to another random character generator segment. I am Greg Tito and I'm joined by Brandy Camel. Hi, Brandy. Hi, Greg. Thanks for having me again. Very excited to uh, roll up a character. Uh, that's what Random Character Generator is all about. We go to D&D Beyond and uh, click the randomize for creating a character at level three and get a character's stats all spat out at us, and it is up to the two of us to decide what that character's backstory is. Sometimes they're suboptimal or uh, 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 questionable choices uh, by the randomized thing, but we really love being able to weave uh, a story between it. And uh, this is just, you know, creativity in action, right, Brandy? Yeah, this is so much fun. It honestly, like, I love doing things like improvising, and D and D is a great place to do that. And this is kind of the character generation version of that, so it's a ton of fun. Absolutely. So let's do it. Let's click the button and get a random character for us. We're gonna view this character sheet. Ooh, this has got a double name: Grarel Ariasus, Aries, 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 Grarel. Aries us. Okay. Wow, that's a mouthful. Yeah, that's definitely a mouthful. Uh, Eladrin Barbarian. <laughs> this is awesome. <laughs> that is such a combo. <laughs> uh, high strength. Wow. You know, we got a 16 with a plus three. High dexterity. Uh, constitution, which is usually uh, where barbarians put a lot of their stats. It's just middle of the road. Got a 10 there. Negative one intelligence, zero modifier for wisdom, and a negative one charisma. So definitely strength, dexterity focused Aladrin here. Yeah, this is it. This is an entity that is physical. <laughs> yeah. Um, wow. Okay. So animal handling is a trained skill. Investigation. That's interesting with a low intelligence. Nature. Perception and persuasion. That's not the skills I would have chosen for. No, definitely not. For a strength dexterity based uh, 
character. Uh, they are barbarians, so of course they get rage uh, as well as reckless attack. And their primal path is the path of the beast. Okay. Uh, which I believe that means that they can actually transform into... Um, let me just make sure I know exactly what this is all about. Path of the Beast draw their rage from a bestial spark burning within their souls. All right, all right. Yeah, physically transforming the barbarian. Yeah, so at, at third level, which is what uh, our character here, Gorel, Aries us. I have to repeat it over and over again so I can get the, get the <laughs> get it right. Uh, but yeah, when you rage, you can bite, claw, or t- you know, attack with the lashing tail. All right. Um, you choose the weapon's form each time you rage, so it actually doesn't need to be the same each time. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, and it looks like we've got a couple of different origins. Uh, Man, even possible. before I saw this table, I was already thinking lycanthrope. To be like, I was already like going straight there to to a place where this is this is a person who uh, was cursed in some way or maybe had a curse passed on to them. Yeah, uh, and Aladrin, uh, you know, is 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 uber elf, right? Is that the way to kind yeah. of think about it? Yeah, that's that's a pretty good way. Like that's you know, in your traditional like Lord of the Rings kind of universe, you're looking at you know the high elves. You're looking at uh, the elfiest of elves, for lack of a better way of putting it, right? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Like the, even the elves that might, uh, you know, if you're going Tolkien, had had didn't even go to Middle Earth. The elves that stayed uh, right, in the yeah. uh, Undying Lands. That's that's what I think of as I think of as an Eladrin. So they're from either the Feywild or uh, potentially the Shadowfell. You might say. Yeah, potentially. Uh, so we'll, we'll we'll talk more about that and make <laughs> you know, figure out what that is. Uh, oh, this is interesting. Their background <laughs> is a uh, house agent from Deneath. Is that from... Ravnica, isn't it? Is it Ravnica or is that... Um, uh, what's the other house? Oh, no, that's Eberron. That's Eberron. Eberron, that's right. I was like, it's another E and I kept yeah. thinking Eladrin. It's Eberron. Uh, which house, uh, uh, Denith or Denith, uh, do we know, do you know much about that house? So, uh, I don't know a ton. I'll, I'll admit that I'm like not a big Eberron person, but, um, I cheated and definitely Googled in the background. <laughs> <laughs> As you should. So, uh, it is a human dragon marked house whose members are highly acclaimed mercenaries and bodyguards are known for their efficiency and martial skill. Oh, interesting. It's already, they, they are the muscle <laughs> of the dragon marked houses. And I mean, this is definitely a muscular person, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you think uh, they were hired as an agent after they were infected with lycanthropy? Mm, possibly. It could be, or it could be. Oh, that's that's kind of an interesting idea. What if like the bestial, um, the source that they're getting is less lycanthropy and more along the lines of uh, tied to the dragon marks? Oh, okay. Maybe maybe their transformation's a little bit more dragon-like. Interesting. I like that. Uh, okay. Uh, so when they are when they are raging, uh, they attack. 
um, with uh, claws and, and, and tails that look like uh, scaled dragons, not necessarily, uh, you know, a furry beast. Yeah. Okay. That could be interesting. Um, and they have a lot of... Uh, I guess that, you know, the persuasion and the perception would do very well if they were muscle or perhaps bodyguard uh, to the um, to their house. Uh, they have the ability to do vehicles uh, as their tools, um, as well as, of course, the dragon chest set. But I wonder if they are, uh, you know, either foremen or bodyguards for a uh, caravan. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, could could be that or like a, a patrol guard, somebody who regularly like patrols around the, the area. Mm-hmm. I like that too. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, they're 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 you know protecting what's going on. Uh animal handling though, they also have that. So maybe they are involved in some way of of, of some kind of transportation, maybe even just maybe they're the guard at a stable or something. Yeah. I'm I'm really digging that like caravan idea, or maybe like an escort for dignitaries between the houses. Hmm. I like that. Yeah, being able to to you know, like almost like a secret service agent. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Neat. All right. Well, Gorel Ariasus. Uh, I'm I, that feels. Uh, I don't know. Aladrin. What what uh, what gender do you think they are? Gorel Ariasus. Um, hmm. I don't know. I'm thinking. I'm thinking a guy for this one. Yeah. This, this um, this feels. I mean, I, I honestly, I think with most character concepts, you can always go in either direction. Um, but there's something about the Gravel name that sounds masculine in my brain. I'm not sure why. Hey, makes sense. Yeah. So, uh, definitely a very uh beefy Aladrin. Uh, it's got you know uh, perhaps a. Uh, I don't know, maybe an Adonis type feel. I don't know. It feels oh, like man. because you you said the masculine, I immediately went to like that those uh, <laughs> you know very uh, muscular elf uh, fan art. Conan the I barbarian, see. but an elf. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and then when they get angry, uh, you know, uh, their teeth elongate, their claws uh, get stronger, as well as a, uh, a tail appears. Mm-hmm. Maybe they get a lining of scales on their arms as they start to rage. Or- mm-hmm. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. Uh, and because they get a low charisma, um, that anger might come out often. Maybe, uh, you know, people are off put by it, maybe even animals, but they've got, a, you know, like I said, a decent animal handling, but not great uh, with only a plus two. So uh, maybe, uh, you know, some animals. I mean, maybe even the lizard or more reptilian mounts uh, enjoy them, but you know, standard horses don't. Yeah, I, I mean, I could also see this definitely being the kind of person who takes solace in friendship with animals more so over people. You know, like this is this is the kind of person who, like, their best their best friend might be their mount, or um, or or maybe even just the mount of the person they protect. Maybe they're closer with the, that person's mount than they are them. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, I like that too. Like they're they're not necessarily uh uh guarding the dignitary, they're guarding the dignitary's mount. <laughs> That's awesome. 
Uh, what do you think, uh, other than, than, than being muscular and perhaps bare-chested often, uh, what do you think Grorel looks like? Oh, so this is really interesting, right? This is somebody who has a lot of strength, but not a lot of stamina because they have kind of like average constitution, right? Mm. So that makes me think uh, very power lifter style. This is the kind of person who's going to like lift really heavy weights once. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe this person skips leg day. <laughs> skips leg day. <laughs> They're very top heavy. Is that what you're trying very to say? Top heavy. <laughs> they have like really skinny legs. And then very tiny. Yeah. Right. It's almost like a cartoon. Uh, that's awesome. Got like an inverse bell curve going on here. <laughs> uh, but very formidable in battle, right? Like they, they, they are able to not necessarily cross distances very fast because of their uh, you know, lack of stamina with their legs, but they will pound on you uh, until. Uh, you submit, or at least stop bothering them out. Mm-hmm. Um, they've got two weapon fighting. Well, that's really handy with the claws. Uh, that was an unintentional pun. I'm so sorry. Handy with the claws. <laughs> um, I can't help myself. I'm sorry. No, it's all good. Uh, and then their phase step, uh, uh, which is a, a feature from the their Aladrin uh, background. Um, that may, that that's that's freaky, right? Like if you can imagine a big, burly, angry barbarian, and then yep. they blink thirty feet away uh, to where the danger is. Yeah, this this is definitely somebody who, like, if their caravan came under attack, uh, they would probably provide flanking to their other, you know, to their other compatriots. They would be the person to to be like, all right, I'm I'm going in deep to to whatever this threat is. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll pop to the other side of it and everybody else can can kind of advance from there. It's a really nice tactical advantage that they have. Yeah, for sure. Do you think they they are part of a team or do you think they work better alone or you know maybe they have to be part of a team and they don't like to be? I definitely feel like they have to be part of a team like just out of necessity or maybe even it's it's out of like commands going we don't leave this one alone. There's mm. like that's a bad idea. <laughs> they need they need to be watched. Yeah, all right, that makes sense. Um, they're able to uh, not very well, but you know, investigate or or you know, know what's happening if the caravan goes uh, into the wilds with a, at least being trained in nature, despite having a negative one intelligence score. So they're actually only at a plus two, a plus one uh, for a trained skill. This seems like somebody who spent a lot of time studying, right? Like this is not their strong suit, but they've invested the time in knowing these things. Mm. Yeah, they tried. They tried. Yeah. An, an attempt was made. He tried. Garel definitely tried. tried. Yes. Awesome. Uh, what uh, what kind of coloring do you think they have? What kind of hair? What kind of eyes? You know what uh, uh, what kind of dress do they usually wear? You know, I know when when you said when you put that Adonis image in my head, I'm like, oh, we need like the long flowing blonde hair just billowing in the wind. <laughs> yeah, like that immediately came to mind. Um, Fabio yeah. looking. They have kind of like a flowy kind of name, so I think that that kind of suits them. Yeah, uh, but yeah, definitely someone with some anger management issues. <laughs> 
Do you think they, uh, you know, do they wear what's necessary to fight? Do they are they ostentatious at all? Do they do they you know wear any jewelry? Um, I don't know about jewelry. Uh, I feel like, especially with like the list of different skills that they have, this feels like a, a somewhat pragmatic person. They mm. know the things that they need to know. Um, they are probably wearing like guard armor, um, especially because you know normally a lot of barbarians will will go without armor because they don't need it. But this this person doesn't really have any bonus in constitution, so they don't they don't benefit from that that aspect of being a barbarian. So I could see them in like a good medium sized like a like a breastplate or something like that. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe emblazoned with their their house. Right. Um. Uh, yeah. Having having the house symbol. Uh, as well, uh, are they? Now they're not actually dragon marked, right? No, no, it's not. It's not suggested in here that they're dragon marked. Yeah, because that's a specific house. Yeah. Okay. So they just work for uh, uh, Deneth as a um, as a hired hand. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, do you think they have a consistent client, or do you think that they go from from client to client based on where their house tells them to go? Um, I'm I'm kind of thinking. So I could go either way on this because the interesting thing about House Deneth is that it's a human dragon marked house. So it's not necessarily one that it is going to commonly employ people from outside um, outside their culture. So this this could be maybe this is someone that a particular noble has taken a liking to. Like, I like having this muscle. Mm. Um, and, you know, maybe they're not the bright, brightest crayon in the box, but, you know, they've got the muscle where it shows and they and they keep my caravan safe. So I could I could see a bond building there. Yeah, like I don't I don't like most of like the the noble could say they don't like most of uh, uh, the bodyguards that helped them his sent, but for whatever Garel Ariasus Ariasus Aries Ariasus Ariasus we weren't saying the name for a while, then I lost it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you're right. They just uh, they feel uh, like a trust has has built up with uh, with Garel. Um, guarding them as they as they traveled across Eberron. All right. Well, I think I think I got a pretty clear picture of Garel. Uh, any other thoughts or questions um, based on what you see here? Oh, um, yeah. I think we we've kind of figured it out. We figured out you know how how they fight and how he fights in combat and where he comes from, what his connections are like. Yeah. That Rough he- idea of appearance. Yeah. All right. So. Uh, Grorel Ariasis is a Aladrian barbarian who is a employed by a dragon marked house, uh, House Deneth, as a bodyguard or uh, you know a, a guard of any kind for a noble in Eberron um, that has taken a liking to the odd uh, appearance and behavior of Grorel. Uh, Grorel appears very you know large. Uh, on the upper body, um, we talked about having uh, Adonis-like muscles as well as flowing blonde hair, blue eyes, uh, along with their pointy ears for being an Eladrin, um, but not very strong runner or able to uh, travel distances fast uh, via their legs despite their high strength. Very top-heavy uh, in appearance. Um, no other... Ornamentation, uh, such as jewelry or anything like that, they're very no nonsense. Uh, still wearing leather armor uh, to protect themselves, 
um, maybe just the uniform of House Denneth, uh, as they have a familiarity with the mount of the noble uh, and perhaps have a larger loyalty to the mount than to the noble themselves. And when they get angry, and they do, uh, Gorel does get angry, uh, he rages out and transforms potentially uh, some of his appendages into animal-like features, maybe even dragon-like features with uh, attacking with claws or a bite or a tail. Um, Those features have scales uh, that look almost dragon-like when they attack. Um, Not very skilled uh, in, you know, uh, more mental aptitude, uh, despite knowing um, Elvish and how to how to ride on uh, land vehicles such as caravans or or, or coaches or things like that, um, and uh, can try to uh, persuade people or perceive what's happening in the world around them. Uh, but honestly, their best feature is being able to uh, hit something very hard. Am I missing anything? Uh, no, I think I think you've covered everything. Because of their Aladdin, they're able to also use their tactical benefit of uh, blinking, essentially, using face step uh, in, in, in fights. Yes. Yeah. Interesting character, Grorel. I like the image of uh, them being this top-heavy bodyguard uh, <laughs> with uh, a heart of rage. I don't know. <laughs> they love it. Definitely. Feels like someone I've seen in a gym before. <laughs> yeah, it's like seeing that 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 gym person, and then uh, having a cat walk out to them, and have that gym person uh, just ooh and on goo and ga over uh, a cute cat, right? That's perfect. I love that imagery. Yeah, uh, except in this case, it's a you know uh, a, a dinosaur, perhaps. Yes. <laughs> Since... Yeah, like a writable dinosaur. <laughs> it is Eberron, after all. Awesome. Uh, Grorel Arizas. What a cool character. Thank you so much, Brandy, uh, for talking through their background or his background. Uh, and as always, we are going to make this uh, character available. You can use it as an NPC in your game or you know, just kind of see where we came up with this background and story for Grorel from the character sheet. Uh, Brandy, how can people potentially ask you any questions about this character or any others uh, on Twitter? If you have any questions for me, you can always find me on Twitter at, at Dainty, D-A-Y-N-T-E-E. And, uh, and honestly, you can just kind of find me any of the other places that D&D community stuff happens, especially on our Discord. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Oh, maybe we can put these on the Discord as well. I didn't even think about that. Great yeah, idea. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I am at Greg Tito on Twitter, and I'm looking forward to Grorel showing up in your games, uh, perhaps in the future. Let us know if you do, in fact, use them uh, or want to add to their backstory at all. It's super fun to create these random characters with you in live time, Brandy. So thank you again. Thanks so much for having me. This was a ton of fun, Greg. Grorel. I, I can't really say the name very well, but I can say Grorel is happy to see you. 
That's a uh, tough name. That does not roll off the tongue, but cool character nonetheless. Exactly. Uh, super fun. Thanks to Brandy for for helping me roll some random characters and come up with fun stuff. Um, and I want to turn it to our interview guest. Can we can we get Sarah Thompson on the phone so we can talk to her? Everyone, let's welcome Sarah Thompson to Dragon Talk. Yay! Sarah, yay! You're so great. We love you, Sarah. (laughs) All right, all right. Simmer down, studio audience. We have an interview to do. (laughs) Welcome. We are happy to have you here, Sarah. How are you? Hi, I'm I'm good, thank you. Um, Thank you for asking me on. Um, Yeah, it's been... Uh, nervous waiting for it, but I'm excited to do it. So, <laughs> yes, we're finally ready, able to talk. There's been lots of uh, uh, technical difficulties, but we've 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 jumped over those like athletes ready to uh, roll our way into uh, uh, an amazing time. I feel like you could have actually had a D and D reference in there. I was trying to. <laughs> I was trying to figure out how to work the combat wheelchair into all this. Uh, many of you may know uh, Sarah as the creator of that here on uh, the, in the D&D community. Um, but you've also done a lot of great work just as uh, far as, you know, being an advocate for, uh, for, for disabled people in the entire uh, TTRPG community. So that's awesome. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's been a bit of a, well... I've been I've been doing this now for about two years or maybe three I can't remember two two or three, uh, and then this year really took off. So yeah, it's all been a lot in a short period of time. But yeah, it's been it's been great. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, it yes, you have your your work within the last year has definitely seemed to to take off um but i'm curious and as as we often are with our guests um on dragon talk is how you even came into this wonderful little hobby of ours when did you start playing D&D? yeah um i first played it in high school and it was fourth edition and the group adventure didn't last very long and i didn't enjoy it um, more to do with uh, the groups than the actual game, and it just really put me off. Um, and I was like, I'm never going to play D&D ever again. And then in, and then in sixth form, about it's, which is like your two years before you go to university in the UK, so it's like an extra two years of high school. I guess it's the equivalent of freshman and sophomore in the US, okay. I guess. Um, and uh, I got asked to play D&D with some friends and they were like it's fifth edition like it's a new edition it's supposed to be really easy for people who are new or aren't big into D&D to understand um and I was like okay I'll give it a go um and yeah pretty much fell in love with it and really wanted to play D&D more and then at university we had um a society which is like a social club um and you go to it for free. The university helps fund it and they do like fundraisers and things for it as well. And it was filled with loads of different TTRPGs. They had Let's Find groups um, and they also had a LARP community within the, the society. And like you could get help with funding for your character costumes and things. Um, and they'd also like, amazing. you know, find places to go LARPing 
um, and we'd do LARPing with like other universities. So it would be like a group of adventuring parties from our university meet a different university's adventuring parties in LARPing. So yeah, it was really fun. Um, this is amazing. I didn't do the LARPing part, but I did the, the, the joining TTRPGs and stuff. It was really cool and really fun. Yeah, so clearly a, a better experience than the one you started with. <laughs> Yeah, at definitely. Least. Okay, yeah. I also think that every club needs to be called a society instead of a club because that <laughs> is just way cooler. Um, but also a good lesson that I'm glad you tried it again because I think that if you have the wrong group or the, the dynamics just aren't there um, from the beginning, it can turn a lot of people off. Mm. So I always... Try to encourage people if they say, like, oh, I didn't have the best experience when I tried it, to just try it again. Yeah. yeah. And that's something that streaming has really helped with, too. Yeah. And I think, like, especially with, uh, like, the fact that I tried it in high school and, like, mm. high school people are changing and developing and becoming their own people. And you might not even be friends with those people, like, a year from when you knew them, um, which is why I was, like, I think I had a better time when I went to university because I met more like-minded people who enjoyed the same things as me and like helped me grow as a person and we helped each other grow. So um, I think that's probably what made D&D a better experience at that point for me. Um, so yeah, I, like I really am glad that I uh, chose to pick it up again and, and give it a go. That is a really yeah. good point because you don't really think about, you know, uh, Adolescence is and, and late adolescence, you're still changing and forming and, and, and choosing in many ways who you want to be. And mm-hmm. we've heard from from various people that that's where Dungeons and Dragons can be really helpful is be like, oh, you got you can kind of try out different personas and things like that. But uh, off the table, interpersonal relationships are still forming and people are still seeing who they're going to be, you know, even without the guise of what their character is going to be. And so, yeah, you're totally right that mm-hmm. they're as soon as there's some buy-in from people who are like, oh, we're choosing to hang out, not because we all live in the same town and this is the only, you know, four yeah. people that I know, but like we're actually choosing to uh, to engage in this hobby together. Uh, that is a really good measuring stick for like, okay, I'm going to enjoy this hobby going forward. Yeah, yeah. the opting in part for sure. And that mm-hmm. it is, it like hearing you, you talk about the, like being in, in high school is when there's all that self- exploration part happening i mean i just hearing you talk i'm thinking okay i I definitely had a preppy phase and then i had like the the like butt rock phase and then there was like the i'm gonna fail math test phase because passing tests is not cool phase like i really like should have just been playing D &D and i could have just kind of explored these different personalities these 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 things that I wanted to try and be in a much safer way and then my mom would not have been called to the principal's office so many times <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I feel like D&D maybe would should be required like part of health class for middle and high school kids like let's just try out some <clears throat> different personas in a safe and fun creative environment yeah, yes definitely. that is my platform now Love it. <laughs> <laughs> what what characters did you resonate with early uh, in in fifth edition, Sarah? I'm I'm curious. Just like, what, were you a ranger person or a a, uh, a magic user kind of always type of thing? What was what was your um, your your persona? My first 
like ever like proper D and D character, not including the fourth edition one, was uh, a rogue wood elf. It was like kind of like bog standard, the first kind of D and D character you kind of make. Mm-hmm. Um, and I liked that character, but I didn't really like super resonate with that character. I kind of grew into making characters I really enjoyed playing and, you know, kind of like had fun with the concepts when I played a Valabard who was a fawn. Um, He was great. His name was Sal Buckthorn. And like I have, I still have miniatures of him and I still will go and make miniatures of him to have little miniatures of him in different styles. Um, I loved him so much. Um, He had one of the best experiences in, um, oh my goodness, uh, this is where I try and remember the name now. Um, It's the, the module's completely gone from my head, but it's the one with the um, the Frost Giants. Storm King's Thunder? Storm King's Thunder, thank you. Yeah, Um, and the whole bit where all of the giants meet up and everyone was like, okay, we're going to have to go in there and like fight. And I was like, I'm going to go in there and see if I can talk them all down. And I talked down every single giant except one that we had to battle. And that was a fire giant because she only would accept our proposition if we could beat her in battle. Um, <sighs> and like, so I managed to talk down like nine, nine full giants as this tiny little fawn. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> um, oh my God. Which was great fun. Um, and I got to use stuff from like the adventure because we found out that like um, the frost giants kind of fed their guard and we found a totem about one of the frost giants guards that like my character had picked up. So I used it against them um, and like, you know, did charisma checks through persuasion, intimidation and um, deception. And yeah, it was it was really fun. Um, and then I was like, OK, like this is like the kind of character I want to make now is just where I go off with like a really like weird concept or like a strong concept and just go for it um and then i really really got into D with curse of strad mm. which is still my favorite module um and uh i played a what did i play i played a monster slayer ranger it was when monster slayer ranger came out oh, nice. um and i played that with um it was a human variant ranger called deslin rennet and he was uh he basically started off as a kind of a, a a peasant in a village that was like controlled by a vampire. Um, and then he tried to like overthrow the vampire along with the other peasants. It went horribly wrong. Um, and he took the folk hero background, but it was switched. Um, instead of people admiring him, people sympathized with him and saw him as a kind of pathetic character which is why they would like let him sleep in their home and things like that (laughs) um (laughs) and um he he didn't get a good ending in curse of strad by any means um but he got a great ending and i i loved it um he he in the end got uh he fell in love with um he fell in love with um tatiana um she died (laughs) So that was fun. She died in our game. Uh She died in our game in front of Strad and my character. So like we were both like heartbroken and we had like this really like we tried to basically like uh duel it out over her dead body. It was really like intense. (laughs) Oh my Um, god. Wow. This is amazing. And then uh my character managed to survive that. And then uh he got um kidnapped and charmed by Strad and uh 
tried to turn him into a true vampire and it went horribly wrong and he became a vampire and died within 24 hours um, of being infected with this. Oh my God. Yeah. (laughs) Which like, it was a terribly sad ending. Um, And then our DM like completely pulled it on its head and like everyone at the table kind of sat in shock at the very end of the campaign because we all got given a letter suddenly. we, We all left Barovia and then we got given a letter that just arrived like out of nowhere so it was implied that it was the mists and when we opened it it was from my character Deswin who was now the ruler of Barovia he'd basically taken over and I was like oh my god okay like my character is now like the ruling vampire of Barovia so that was heartbreaking (laughs) I just remember sitting there for ages afterwards like in shock that my DM did that to me (laughs) but yeah it was really fun campaign and it's where like um, I kind of really wanted to, it kind of encouraged me to do dungeon mastering as well. Like I hadn't at that point and then really wanted to after that game. Cause I was like, I want to give people that experience that I had. Yeah, oh, that's really sweet. Yeah. It seems really, uh, like one of those, uh, that's what I love hearing about D and D stories. I was like, they're, they feel like memories that happened to you. <laughs> <laughs> that the way yeah, you're describing yeah. it, it feels like, well, oh, it, yeah, that's a great story of something that happened to Sarah. But it, you know, it, <laughs> it was all your character. That's so amazing. Right. I love or that. the plot of a movie. Like that sounds like a really like, <laughs> the the duel over Tatiana's dead body with Strahd. I mean, uh, yeah, that's a that's I'd watch that. That sounds great. <laughs> Do you find that there's like a certain type of character that you're drawn to? Like, is there like a common thread that you can pull between all of the your favorite characters? Uh, messy, scruffy himbos with sad backstories every time. <laughs> and even and even <laughs> and even when I think I haven't made a character like that, I'll bring it to the table. My friends go, "You've made your type again," and I'm just sat there like. Thanks for pointing it out. Like you did, like you know, we all have like um, types of characters that we play. In the same sense, like with um, like a running joke at the table is that every time like we we have a warlock, we always say like say the words warlock, and it's they say they have to say Eldritch Blast that they cast Eldritch Blast because we know it's coming. <laughs> but round. yeah, every time, every time the DM's like, okay, so what characters has, has like everyone brought, and then like. In, in our group, it was a joke to just go, Sarah, like, we we all know what you brought. Like, <laughs> we know it's going to be a messy person with a sad backstory. <laughs> he was, like, terrible. And I was like, you're right, but you didn't have to call me out in front of everyone at the table. <laughs> you know, you can call him a himbo, but nobody else can say that. Yeah. <laughs> he's, they're this your character himbo. character is different because he likes green, whereas my last character liked blue. <laughs> No, you say that same. like jokingly, but that's genuinely how it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome! Don't apologize. We like what we like. That's mm-hmm. that's how it is. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like there's a reason that you know Geralt of Rivia is one of my favorite characters, and it's because he falls in the category of like messy yeah. himbo with a sad backstory, <laughs> who is actually secretly a softy, like. Anytime that that's like a character, I'm like, yes, that's the character I want to make. <laughs> yeah, it works for him that, you know, that that one had had other people helping him. They felt bad for him. They, you know, you got to work mm-hmm. that to your advantage. That's yeah. a good skill to have <laughs> to get people to to actually want to help and assist you. Yes. 
Yeah, and I think there's something too, like, you know, making sure you know, like know your lane, right? And then so when you when you want to fall back on uh some tropes or some story elements that you're really comfortable with like yeah like the, I, the, I think I think about that as far as like creators and things like that too where people are always you know would criticize authors or actors or, or or anyone being like well they're just doing the same thing they always do and I'm like yeah but they do it really well yeah and like that's why people show up and and, and are a part of that audience so uh mm-hmm. love it yep yeah I have felt pressure sometime like probably my own self-induced pressure but to try to play different characters than I than I really like I like to play a magic user and I like to be an elf sorry um but then I try to like break out of that and I'm like okay I'll be I'm gonna be a human fighter and I just don't have that much fun and I'm not yeah. a fighter I'm just I don't want to be in the front I kept like instinctually moving into the, the back of the party and they were like get up there fighter I don't really want to. I don't want to. I don't want to. I don't want to die. I don't want to get hurt. I'm sorry. I don't want to do it. Yeah. I don't want to be a cleric. I don't want to be a fighter. You just I don't have, have to... any responsibilities. No, I just want to stay in the back. Maybe like scroll Instagram until somebody needs me to fire something off. I can do a ranger. I can do a magic user. Wait. So basically, you're still in your failing math stage. I think is what we've realized. Yeah. That's where I'm comfortable. <laughs> That's my. It's where I thrive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Nice. Uh, so uh, you've got a lot of your work in, in, in things recently. Uh, Talon, your character, is an idol champion. How awesome is that? Yeah, that's bizarre. Um, and it's like my brain will do a thing where like, I kind of put it to the back of my head. And then like, as soon as I open the game up, I'm like, oh, there's my character. And oh, there's Polton Serpa from Dice Camera Action right next to him. That's bizarre. That's a thing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's really cool. Um, and uh, yeah, it, it meant a lot to like, not even, not only just like, um, you know, be asked for that character, but to, you know, see that character and have other disabled people who use wheelchairs also be able to see that character um, in an officially licensed D and D product, um, so yeah, it was it was really cool, um, and I had a lot of fun working with Codename Entertainment uh, to make Talon, um, and the way that they they tied in elements of his backstory into like his character items was really cool, um, and the fact that they also let me like buy a backstory into Axel because even though that's Talon's like actual backstory from a game, I was like, I don't know if I can do that in the video game. And they were like, oh yeah, sure thing. And I was like, oh, okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Great. Um, yeah, uh, Talon came from um, a Waterdeep Dragon Heist game um, that I ever played like a, a few sessions of, very short. Um, but yeah, it was a really fun game. And so to see my character actually in something and animated and you know has like text and things describing him um and the comics as well that um the artist luke who makes the all right champions comics um yeah getting to see two of those there's one that's called half pipe which was talon using a half pipe to to do combat uh yeah jarlaxle was like wow what a show off in the background (laughs) (laughs) and then, and then there was another one called Adventure Sign Language, which was with Talon telling a story to Nat Squidly and Jenks, and he's using sign language um, for, for Nat. So yeah, that was that was really cool. I really liked seeing both of those. Um, I love that. 
I love how weaving yeah, into the little kids in the Waterdeep campaign was one of my favorite elements uh, and how they, yeah. they showed up in various ways. And I'm so glad that, you know, because uh, Talon came from a Waterdeep Dragonized campaign that like, oh yeah, of course they would know each other and uh, perhaps be brought into their little secret club in order to learn that, that sign language. How <laughs> neat is that? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was just really cool. Like, I mean, with the kids in um, Dragon Heist, I have, I have yet to meet a party that hasn't adopted them in some way, whether or not they know they've adopted the children. Like, yeah. <laughs> they either, like, do it unintentionally or deliberately. Um, and it doesn't matter which group I'm with. There hasn't been a group yet that has turned down the children, basically hanging out with them and then eventually living with them in <laughs> troll school manner. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is As adorable. it should be. It yeah. is. Uh, and we love that uh, Idol Champions is such a great team. Uh, I, I feel like we, I'm remiss because there might be listeners who don't know what that game is. It's called Idol Champions of the Forgotten Realms. And it's this awesome uh, uh, clicker game. Uh, you know, Idol, it's, it's, uh, uh, goes in the background all the time and you're sending off your party on these tasks and uh, they'll, you know, fight monsters and, and, and kill bad guys uh, and get their loot over time, uh, you know, and you're, the game is all about setting up the optimal party uh, that works for you. And then all of these heroes that you can choose from, you know, they come from, from, from D&D uh, lore, uh, but also from uh, folks in the community. You mentioned uh, there's some, you know, previous uh, Dice Camera Action characters on there. There's ones from, from, uh, from Todd Kenrick. I think his, his character is in there. And uh, it's just awesome that, that Talon is, is joining that cater. What, what, does, what, does, what was the back and forth as far as design goes on what you were able to, to, to add and what, what did they bring to the table from, for that character as well? It was a lot of, uh, they had like some ideas like, oh, okay, like how, how would you want us to design the chair? specifically mm. and eventually we settled with a chair that's a nod to Claudio Pazaz who drew like the first image of the combat wheelchair um and I believe he's also done artwork for the actual D&D books as well fifth edition mm-hmm. I believe he's um, also been a guest on Dragon Talk uh, so. he probably has back in the day um he, he he's absolutely lovely um and he offered to draw artwork for the actual PDF before it even came out and then yeah um and also, as well, it was a nod to uh, Strata Miniatures, who made the Combat Wheelchair Miniatures that you can buy um, as part of their Dungeons and Diversity line. Um, and uh, it's the uh, the wheel <coughs> that Talon has that has all the daggers like embossed into it um, is actually one of the wheels that you'll find on the wheelchair for the Rogue from that line of miniatures. Oh, cool. um, so we wanted it to be like a, a nod to both. Um, then Talon's whole design and backstory um, was pretty much all mine. Um, and his things like the the, the discus um, rim, the chakrams, um, they're actually something I've been working on for the combat wheelchair but haven't released yet. Um, and the scatter attacks as well are another thing I've been working on for the combat wheelchair and haven't released yet. Um, but is that caltrops basically? Scatter tags? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's caltrops in a a slip knotted bag that has like a hook at the on the actual chair, and you just flick it off the hook, and they all scatter out um, behind. Oh, nice! Uh, there's also like a, a grease trap variant of that as well, um, and it 
it did make it it didn't make it actually into the video game but talon's wheelchair also has a thing um because wheelchair users a lot of the time sometimes uh people will like actually think that they're helping and will just grab people's wheelchairs like while they're in it and push them along thinking it's helping without permission and it doesn't help and it's likely <laughs> to cause an injury to the person in the chair um and talon actually has uh basically a version of his hellish rebuke but for his wheelchair that if anybody he doesn't want touches it it just like blows up uh the <laughs> the, the sigil does it explodes um and knocks uh whoever it is back um yeah so so uh, that didn't make it into the game but um the other stuff did it's in your um, head canon, which was though. really cool yeah i want that yeah and um the design for antagonist, the antagonist feature, then the reversal of fortunes, which flips it around. So the antagonist feature is where Talon reduces all the damage of evil line champions and gives it to all good aligned champions. And then reversal of fortunes is just that in reverse. Um, and that's to do actually with uh, when I was talking to them about Talon's relationship with Jarlaxle and how it's kind of flip-flop like, uh, you know, he he says he hates Jarlaxle, but he clearly doesn't and would still help him if Jarlaxle ever help, like, asked for help or ever needed him. Um, and they were like, well, a good way we could do that is, you know, if uh, evil-aligned enemies like Jarlaxle are actually in the formation, uh, Talon can flip it around to help Jarlaxle out rather than the, uh, the other characters. And I was like, yeah, actually, that that really represents what Talon is like. Um, and it's... it's um, people were were a bit like uh you know surprised by it because they were like well talon's a chaotic good character um and i was like yeah talon is chaotic good he's um good aligned Mm -hmm. but the problem is is that he he likes to think he's chaotic good but sometimes his actions aren't really chaotic good um basically he scrutinizes Axel for doing something uh, and says that that's really bad and you should never do it, but it's different when Talon does it because it's more justified when Talon does it for, for his own ends. Um, yeah, so uh, they're both like as bad as each other and the whole reversal of fortunes and antagonists is just meant to represent that. And I thought that was a really cool um, feature to like have it included in the game like that, for sure. Yeah, because that's a hard thing to model, you know, like the idea of, of role playing and, and and alignment and and morality in something that's just oh, you're bashing monsters and getting their loot. But it, it was a very clever way to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Super love cool. the team. Uh, you know, we used to work with Chris Dupuy uh, on the D and D team, uh, and I think he's at uh, Codename. Was it was he your 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 main contact there, or uh, or did you work with I him at all? I Don't believe so. Okay, um, I may have worked with him. I think in like an initial call where we talked about the character concept and things, but then I, it was pretty much like just one contact who passed along to me and no, I gave a yes, do that or no, don't do that kind of thing on it. (laughs) That's awesome. That's so cool. It must be really so amazing to see your work come to life in so many different formats, like with the miniatures to see it, um, you know, characters that you created in, other live stream games to see it in um, digital games. It's it's super cool, but we haven't we we keep talking about the combat wheelchair, but we haven't really talked about how the combat wheelchair came to be. And I'm just I'm really curious about like what the design process was for bringing the combat wheelchair to life. I I mean I can't even I'm not a game designer, so 
you educate me on um, how something like this can happen. <laughs> yeah, uh, it, it kind of came as a I offhand comment when I was playing with some of my friends. Some of them are actual, uh, are also um, actual wheelchair users. And uh, I made an offhand comment saying, oh, it'd be really cool if like you could use a wheelchair in D&D 5th edition and have it, you know, kind of work like a like murder ball um, in terms of how it would engage in contact. Um, murder ball being a really intense, high impact sport done completely in wheelchairs. Um, and it's it's usually applied to rugby or basketball. Um, and yeah, it's. It was uh, a long process after that because my friends were like, oh, yeah, 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 you should definitely do it. Like, we'd love it. Like, And it started out as like three actions that you could take, which are still in the core rules. So like tire strike, ram and crush. Uh, and uh, it kind of started as that. Um, and that was pretty much it. And then my friend, I gave it to my friends. My friends were like, yeah, here's, here's how you could you know, go further and replicate the actual experience further. So I was like, yeah, like this is good feedback to get back, worked on it some more. And it was a lot of uh, almost a year really of making changes and pitching ideas to like friends who use wheelchairs um, whilst also doing research myself, um, whether that was like in physical books that like I'd take from my university library or I'd, you know, go and watch documentaries like the Murderball doc documentary, um, which is just called Murderball. And I think it's all up on YouTube for free. Um, and yeah, like it, it came down to I would then print off actual wheelchairs from like sports that are used in sports like Murderball and like basically went through everything, learned the entire anatomy of sports chairs and how they would then be or how, how they would then look in a Dungeons and Dragons setting. Um, what kind of changes would there be? Would there be like anything specific that would have to change, like in terms of materials used to make it? Um, and yeah, like uh, it kind of then expanded to, um, you know, his rules for, for stairs and for climbing and for if you want to upgrade it so that you've got a gun that you can fire from your chair by all means here's how you can do it um yeah it it really uh just expanded um and even thinking of very small things of like how would it interact with certain environments um and if it can't handle certain environments would you need specific um wheels and uh sets of things that you can add to your chair um which are things that are like you can get them in real life um you can get uh special tires for handling sand and such um on beaches if you use a wheelchair um and there there was also the whole like uh well you know even something as small as um a sports wheelchair has a stabilizer wheel on the back they actually have five wheels so they have two either side which are your main wheels two at the front which are your caster wheels and then one at the back which is the stabilizer wheel and I was like, okay, so if you were going to be tipped in that chair, you would you would actually get advantage on being knocked prone. So I had to then make a rule for that. And when would it apply? Um, and things like that as well. And yeah, it was just uh, a long process of back and forthing. And then in August, you know, dropping the kind of full rule set adding bits and pieces um it's still going through a process of changes even now um and 
yeah, it's it's just been a really long <laughs> process, really, is hmm. the, the easiest way I can describe it. Um, and it was all being done during my final year of university um, as well. So like I had to juggle it with um, doing my bachelor's degree. Um, and I was doing a joint honors degree as well. So I really like kind of loaded all the work on, um, in regards to it, but yeah, it was, it was really fun. Um, and getting to see it, um, you know, bit by bit come together was really rewarding until I had something that my friends who use a wheelchair and me who now also uses a, a wheelchair, um, you know, could see it and be like, yeah, that really would represent my experience if I were uh, you know, a character in Dungeons and Dragons going into battle. Um, yeah. And um, I even took some inspiration from D&D novels, like the R.A. Salvatore Drizzt novels. There is mm-hmm. a character who uses a wheelchair in that as well. Um, and I was like, well, clearly, because I even state in um, the R.A. Salvatore novel that uh, the reason the character is paralyzed still is because they were healed with magic, but it healed incorrectly. And I was like, okay, so like technically that can happen with magic in D&D and that's canon. So like, you know, um, thinking about instances in which a character would need a wheelchair. Um, and then that's I so also cool. got to to make a background for it, which was the Paralympian, um, which is still going through a little bit of changes. But yeah, it's now an optional background that a character can take. And they don't need to have um, be using the combat wheelchair in order to use it because it covers um amputees people who are using crutches walking canes anything um uh, associated with mobility devices or disability aids in any way that's awesome what i love about that is that it feels well a like all dnd design uh uh is iterating right like you you've, you have an idea you have a first thought and then you kind of test it and tweak it and make it better and you've been dedicated to uh to that process which is which is always awesome um, but I love also how you're describing it. It just feels like another piece of equipment that an adventurer might have, like a like a like a you know a weapon or a suit of armor or some of the you know fanciful magic items where it's just uh, things that would aid uh, any character in in uh, situations like that. And I especially love that you took inspiration from you know uh, the murder bar chairs and even. I'm sure uh, chairs that you might have seen in Paralympian stuff of of uh, going faster on long distances, like sprinting, like those are designed very differently than the way uh, the murder ball mm-hmm. chairs are designed, and that's just a a really fun design space for for modeling that type of stuff in in this combat system. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um... Yeah, that there's, you know, a lot to to work with. And when I just had that instance, like that small instance of, of an idea of, oh, a wheelchair would be cool to put in D&D, like an actual one we could use effectively in combat, and how that swiftly became me, you know, at two in the morning, <laughs> looking up different different wheelchair sports and um, how I go about using different specific designs of chairs. Like you said, with the sprinting chairs, they're more streamlined and aerodynamic. And you don't think about that until you have to really research it. Um, so yeah, it was yeah, it was just like you know a lot of like one idea suddenly becomes like this really big idea, 
Um, and then having to keep on top with the back and forth thing of, hey, does this represent your experience? Like, and if it doesn't, can you please tell me why so I can make all the changes, please? <laughs> um, yeah, like, it, but having having friends um, that were genuinely very honest and open about giving feedback to me and also very kindly spoke about their experiences using chairs, that, that was really helpful and meant a lot. And then getting to see my friends be really happy with the end product that also meant an awful lot that is cool yeah yeah we've got, In, I would just, before we move too far on we've got a great no. question from Twitter um, uh, someone asked uh, Ricky and Rade03 uh, what was the hardest part about creating the combat wheelchair I mean I think you kind of got through all the things but like what, what was like one specific uh, if you can think of one where it was um, you know uh a, a leap that you needed to make in in design that you're like oh this is perfect because it dealt with a specific problem or something like that where what was any examples along those lines that you could give um, i think it was uh because i was at university i think when xanathar's guide to everything came out and xanathar's had a ruling for um I can't remember what it's called, but it's basically where you you make something a magic item by forming a uh, psychic link with it, um, and like there's actual like you know rules on how to do that. And I didn't know about that at the time I was making the chair. And then my friend said, "Oh, for people who physically can't push the chair themselves because maybe their disability means that they can't physically um, uh, use their arms enough or have enough mo- mobility in their arms to push." Um, chair like that um, you know you would then be able to control it just with their mind and I was like oh my god that's amazing and like I didn't know at the time and I didn't have the book so like I immediately like I went and bought the book and then was like going through studying making sure that uh, I even read through all of Xanathar's guide just to make sure that like if anything was there that I could then use later on the chair um, and yeah, it, that was like a big, like, oh, thank God, like someone pointed that out to me because I was really struggling with how would I make the equivalent of, um, an electronic wheelchair, uh, for, for somebody who wanted to play that character. Um, yeah, oh, like that was like a week of stress. And then one of my friends was like, oh, Hey, I was just reading Xanathar's guide to everything. And it just brings it up right here on this page. And I was like, thank you, you have saved me <laughs> like weeks <laughs> of wondering how to do this. Um, yeah, awesome. so, so that was, yeah, that was great. Um, you just blew my mind a little bit because uh-huh. I have this character or, or a player who always wants their weapons to be sentient. You know, it's like, oh, it's a magic item. Is it talking to me yet? Like he's always, <laughs> he's always asking Aww. about yeah. that. And I didn't even think about that with the combat wheelchair, but how cool would it be to have a, a sentient uh, uh, mm-hmm. magical uh, wheelchair that is... Uh, you know, yeah. uh, you almost have like a symbiotic relationship with. Yeah. That's yeah, there's um one that I'm working on, on like one of the newer versions of the combat wheelchair in which uh, essentially it is like a sentient chair and like I'm going to, there's an NPC that's going to be one of the, the updates to it, which is a wizard who has essentially tamed a mimic to be a wheelchair. Um, oh. So yeah, a mimic wheelchair that uh, he has like a, you know, like a, a friendly relationship with, and it's almost like a, a pet, I guess you would call it, or a kind of familiar um, oh, yeah. that he uses. I'm into that. Me too. I love yeah, how much I was, real was world like, 
Like you have, like the research is amazing (laughs) that you've done. But it's like so much real world research for a fantasy. Yeah. You know, like it's not like you didn't just be like, and it's going to fly and it's going to have a shield and it's made of candy. Like because it's fantasy and it can be anything. Like it's like you like went deep in like real life research. And I I love, I love that. I really... I really wanted it to be something that because when you have a wheelchair, you very much kind of make it your own. Like, you know, you see people who have put stickers all over it or they change the color of the spokes on their wheels. Um, You know, and I've even seen people who, when I went to university, had like fairy lights and things on it. And it was very cool Um, just because it made it, you know, more fun and more, more them. Um, and I was like, okay, what I want to do is I want to make this very kind of base chair and then you can kind of add anything to it with, you know, upgrades. Um, and in the newer one that I'm writing, I'm kind of doing, um, chairs you might find like all across the realms. And then there are ones for Icewind Dale that pretty much come with, uh, skis that lock on the bottom. So you you can push it across ice. Um, and people who go dog sledding using them, um, and, and things like that. And, you know, uh, kind of showing people who then want to play a character just how endless the kind of possibilities really are. Um, you know, because people who are like, you know, wheelchairs in D&D are, are like unrealistic. It's, well, only only your imagination is really the limit on that. And I don't know why you're playing a game about using your imagination. If a chair, if a chair with wheels is a little bit too far for you. <laughs> but, you know, a, a, a 300 foot dragon in a dungeon about, you know, 200 feet below the earth. And nobody knows how it got there. That's plausible. But a chair with wheels, no. Yeah, like, it doesn't no, really make sense. But No logic there for sure. But it's no. something that you... You said kind of in the middle there, which I want to call attention to, which is it's, you you know, you can personalize it. You make it you. Um, Mm. And that's essentially what you're doing by introducing the combat wheelchair to uh, to, for everybody to be able to use is to be able to to have that power fantasy, you know, alongside who you are as a person in, in, in the real life. And I think that's really powerful. And that's what a lot of those, uh, uh, you know, detractors might be missing is that it is it is it's our D character you said that earlier in this interview our D characters are representative of ourselves in some way and, and how we uh you know engage with with the world and so of course you would want that to be your personality and 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 have that uh, be such an uplifting story and i feel like that's great and i think more people should be doing more of it uh unfortunately there's also people who do uh you know whether consciously or subconsciously you know, the cutting down of that of that fantasy uh, for 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 you as well as other uh, disabled people. So, talk a little bit about how ways where you know people like <laughs> who may have good intentions may be uh, you know participating in ableist uh, behavior or language and 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 how to think about that at the table uh, when you're playing D anD D because I think it's something that you know. There's certainly jerks out there who do it on purpose, but there's not a lot of it is done unintentionally, and it's a lot of, about uh, educating, uh, you know, the entire community about this. And you've been done such a great job as an advocate for that. So I'd love to talk about that uh, if you can. Yeah, definitely. Um, it's definitely worth. Uh, there, there are lots of free resources online, including ones that uh, are basically like rundown PDFs of ableist language. There's some great ones out there that have like words that maybe you don't realize are ableist 
um, or can be used in an ableist manner. And what's great about them is they have why it's ableist, what it's trying to infer in an ableist like context. And then mm -hmm. it gives you things that you might have meant instead. Um, and uh, like non-ableist terms basically to use in, in place of. Um, and there are lots of those um, online for free. Um, and there are, you know, books written by disabled people. Um, there's a really great one um, by Amanda Leduc which is uh, called Disfigured, which is all about folk tales, um, fairy tales, uh, fantasy. So it really ties in with D&D there um, and about disabled people, how they're typically presented in them. So um, disabled people being seen as cursed um, or having curses that mean they're just, like, disfigured and disabled in some way. Um, then there is... Uh, you know, that um, if a disabled person works hard enough, they can get rid of their disability or, um, you know, disabled people can't ever find love, but they should just be happy because they've got friends and that's as good as they're going to get it. Um, I mean, you see that in Disney's Hunchback of Notre Dame, um, which, yes, has a disabled character. In, but the ending moral is, shouldn't he just be happy because he got friends and not like a romantic interest at all, uh, which is like very backhanded. And, you know, people don't think about it that way until you are a disabled person um, and you, you see it and you're like, ah, yes, it's it's that old chestnut that people are uh, people like us are usually given. Um, so, yeah, like looking over things like that, um, and having, if people want to play disabled characters and they themselves aren't disabled, uh, research, um, reach out to people um, like me, like uh, Jennifer Kretschmer um, on Twitter, which is at DreamWest, um, or uh, people like uh, Blind Temple on Twitter. Um, all amazing to talk to. Um, and, you know, you can give us just a coffee, like the equivalent of a coffee, give us a tip and, you know, we'll happily answer questions for you if we are able to. Um, but please don't expect us to always answer because a lot of the time it is a lot of emotional labor to go through why things are a certain way and it can be very upsetting. Um, on, and sorry, um, yeah, look over things um, like, uh, again, Jennifer Kretschmer, DreamWisp on Twitter, has as her pinned tweet an amazing resource full of uh, disability resources that you might need or um, will come across when looking at disability in tabletop gaming and things like that. Um, some of them, most of them are free, I believe. There's a couple that you'll have to pay for, but they're all great. Um, and the Fate uh, Accessibility Toolkit is also great easily apply a lot of it to Dungeons and Dragons, even though it's for the system, um, which is, you know, great as well. And uh, be have an open dialogue um, at your table. Be aware that sometimes you will say or you will do something ableist, whether that's out of character, just at the table or away from the table um, or at the table in character, you might do or say something. Um, and just be aware that like if you get caught basically and like called up on it uh, and someone says, hey, that was ableist, don't take it as a slight. It happens. Um, you know, slip ups happen because ableist language is so severely ingrained um, in everyday language. 
that we say things without realizing it sometimes. Um, and, you know, I think there is a, a world of difference between somebody who slips up and says that uh, a certain word or phrase or an ideology um, presents one through a character um, by accident because they don't realize it's ableist. Um, or, uh, you know, there's been that and somebody who does it with very malicious, deliberate intent. Um, you know, there is a big difference between that. So if you, you know, get caught up upon it, just see it as an opportunity to, to learn, to be like, oh, okay, like, what do I need to do to do better? Take that in and move forward with it. Um, you know, even people like me who are disability advocates, language is changing things that I've said before. I realize, oh, okay, that isn't the appropriate term. Um, and, you know, whenever you have to make any change to, to your language, it is very difficult. Um, so be supportive of one another and, um, you know, see it as opportunities for learning. Don't see it as some kind of slight against you or right. a way to, to try and control you or anything. Cause I've heard that argument before um, and things like that. It's just about, you know, at the end of the day, having respect for people at the table, because you may not realize people at your table are disabled because they don't feel comfortable saying that they are. Um, I used to be one of those visible. people. It's not always, you know, perceived. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially, yeah, with invisible disabilities or with neurodivergency, you cannot physically always tell. Um, and, you know, nobody owes you that part of them um, as well. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just very important just to be mindful, um, especially if, you know, you're putting a game out and it goes live on air as well. Just be aware of people who will be disabled in your audience because one in every four people at some point will become disabled in their lifetime. Um, and I believe over 25% of the US population that we know of and that are documented as being disabled are registered as disabled, um, which is when you consider the US population really big. <laughs> There's a lot of people um, and that's only the people, you know, that we know of who actually have a diagnosis that is registered down. Um, so that there are probably even more people out there who are disabled or chronically ill in some way or neurodivergent who possibly can't the diagnosis, but it doesn't make their experience any less valid. So, yeah, yeah. just just mindful of people at the table um, and just be kind uh, really is is kind of the, it's so funny how it just it comes down to, to simple parenting you know lessons yeah. that you're giving your kids you know like just, just be kind and yeah right and move on mm -hmm. just learn really yeah. yeah yeah here so when you're talking about um the way that uh disabled people are are sometimes represented in books movies fairy tales and all like i just hearing you talk i could think of a million what ways that you know, like urban legends like the the scary person had like you know a hook hand or you know like the evil mm -hmm. witch is always you know a hunchback or, or disabled in some way or a scary person they almost always have a limp you know or they're you know that and that you hear the cadence of their walk because you know a, a prosthetic or something mm -hmm. and obviously those are problematic but I share a question with somebody also from Twitter that had the same question um, Caleb Woodward three and I would like to know what uh, what are some repre representations that you feel are are positive um, or like who has who has done um, disabled characters you know well in in mainstream media and fiction and types. 
Yeah. Um, hmm. Give me a moment. Let me think. Or nobody. Because <laughs> there, there are quite a few that go through mine. Um, yeah. Uh, Geralt, I know, uh, Geralt is um, disqualified. You can't say Geralt. No. Yeah, can't, can't say Geralt. <laughs> Already did that one. Um, no, uh, there is um, a villain from Star Wars, which I will stand by as pretty much being the only Star Wars villain who is disabled and doesn't fall into ableism at some point. And that is Darth Maul. Um, in Clone Wars, because surprise, Darth Maul isn't dead. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, he has cybernetic legs. And when I was watching it, I was like, oh, great. He's going to want to kill Obi-Wan Kenobi for giving him this disability. Um, but actually, when Darth Maul came back, he was like, no, I want to kill Obi-Wan because he embarrassed me in front of my master and made my master abandon me. And that's what I want revenge for. And I was like, oh, okay, that's that's different. I was expecting, you know, the the kind of ableist group. Um, and they also make it very much a part of the character. Like you'll see him tinkering with his leg or like somebody's working on his leg to fix it up for him or make it better in some kind of way and more comfortable as a prosthetic. The prosthetics are genuinely very well designed and realistically designed um, as well, which is always a surprise. Um, yeah, so like especially... That character, um, yeah, is one of the ones that, like, I will adamantly stand by as one of the very good villains. And it's because the there's a whole trope um, of villains that are disabled or mentally ill in some way or neurodivergent, that they are dissatisfied with their own lives and therefore want to inflict it upon others. Um, and that's where the ableism comes from. And that's why Darth Maul is kind of like a, a big divergent and why it meant a lot to me to be like, oh, okay, <laughs> you know, I, I'm not seeing the same old thing because I mean, you look at, um, you look at, for example, from also from Star Wars, one of the worst examples, which is Darth Vader. Darth Vader is a an awful example of how far ableism can go, um, because his entire suit is in is poorly designed intentionally to keep him in pain and that in turn keeps him angry which makes him want to hurt other people um which is just gross <laughs> um yeah, yeah and people don't think it was intentionally designed that way by palpatine yeah um Oosh. yeah palpatine intentionally designed it to like be bad like it isn't a very good respirator or anything which is why it makes the huge breath noises because when you compare it to um, a really kind of positive um, portrayal of a complex disabled character also in Star Wars, which is Saw Gerrera. Um, Saw Gerrera has uh, a life support system, but it doesn't make that horrible breathing noise. And it's because his is a higher quality and it's designed better. Um, but yeah, Darth Vader's was designed to keep him in pain because if he was in pain, then he'd be angry and he'd want to kill people. And it's like, nice. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> you know <laughs> kind of a, a bit of a, a bad design choice um for a character but it's it's something that like i'll point out because it's very very typical of um you know a villain that is disabled is they usually darth vader root of they're dissatisfied with their life and they want everybody else to suffer for it because everybody else deserves it because their life wasn't great um so yeah, uh, yeah, that makes sense. The, the, those two, like, I guess, are kind of like the dichotomy of like a good character versus a bad character. Yeah. Well, that's a good answer to Calum Woodward three. <laughs> Thank you for uh, yes that question. 
Uh, I think you might have already covered this last one from Twitter too, but uh, great kind of ending as we're as we're winding down our interview here from uh, Blessed Alua, who asks, uh, "What do you think would best help representation in the future uh, besides the combat wheelchair and other similar mechanics uh, in the in the D and D community? What are some?" Uh, things out there that you think might help other than than being kind or maybe you can just underline, hey, just mm-hmm. just be kind. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, uh, tying back to the previous question as well, like um, people put it, actively putting in good examples on um, live stream shows that have the research put into them um, and that you can see disabled people helped work on. For example, um, Dagon Underthorn in Critical Role, Matt Mercer wanting to do that. That's awesome. And Matt Mercer reaching out to me, not just to ask permission, but to say that, hey, I've spoken to disabled people um, and, you know, got their feedback on the character. This is the character I want to show. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, feedback and things like that. Um, and then, you know, put Dagon Underthorn in the show and... Dagon's a great example of a disabled character, especially within D and D. And I think um, so. So more people doing things like that, normalizing disability at the table and in in fantasy as a whole, really, um, I think goes long ways. Um, and it's very important to remember that you know to always do your research, obviously, when you're portraying. Um, a disabled character especially if there is a very specific experience so for example if you want to portray a blind character um, it's best to ask someone who's a disability consultant or advocate who themselves is blind because they have the experience and will be able to give you honest answers Um, and you know you can also do research there are plenty of blogs out there um, and things like that for constructing um you know, an, an NPC or a PC that has um, a specific disability experience. Um, yeah, I think uh, things like that uh, and normalize talking about it at the table, even something mm. as small as when you make handouts and you have, you know, like a physical paper handout, print one of them in a larger font size, because I'll be honest, I don't, I don't have dyslexia or dyspraxia um, or dyscalculia, but Every time I look at the Curse of Strahd handouts, I cannot read them. They are, like it's fancy writing, and, and like you know, it's for aesthetic. It's absolutely beautiful, but I'm just like with the book right close to my face. Like I cannot, I don't know what that word is. And um, you know, as a player and a DM, you know, it's great to have handouts. One that's in uh, plain text, and the other there is a font which is completely free that you can download for Word or any you know word type. Um, word type uh, applications on your on your devices, which is uh, called Open Dyslexic. It's completely free. It's a font that dyslexic people uh, more often than not find very easy or easier to read. Um, and I pretty much whenever I do handouts is I'll do one in like, you know, Times New Roman or something and then another in Open Dyslexic for people. That's a good idea. Um, and yeah. even things just as small as that. Um, and uh, something as well that's also very small, but like people don't think about. Um, and it also really irks me is when um, DMs say that they don't want uh, phones that have dice calculators or anything on the table because it's distracting. And it's like, yeah, well, if if you're blind or low vision and you're rolling it, so then you can hear it speak to you what you rolled. 
then yeah, it should be at the table, like normalize it. Some people who are neurodivergent also use their phones to use applications that help them stim um, and helps them concentrate in turn, in turn on uh, what's going on at the table. So, you know, um, uh, you know, there's, there's a big difference between somebody clearly sitting there and just going through Twitter or, <laughs> or something compared to somebody who's actively using their phone to help them enjoy the game. Um, yeah. you know, so, so being honest and open about that, um, and just, just being aware so that you can normalize those things at the table makes it so much easier and more comfortable for any disabled person who may come to your table. They'll feel welcomed, um, more comfortable being there. Um, I know that when my DMs made changes like that, it made me feel more included, if anything. Um, so yeah, like small things like that. Um, you know, that there is a big conversation to be had about disability, but, you know, starting small and then keeping moving forward is always great. I appreciate that. I mean, you met you, uh, name check Blind Temple early on on Twitter. Uh, when I played a blind character for Clerical Air, uh, they were one of the first people that I was able to connect with and I could ask questions about playing a blind character and making sure I was, um, uh, portraying it in a way as well as getting some fun story ideas like they definitely approached it as as it's not just about uh representation it's about how you can portray these characters in fun and interesting ways for you know uh, just for the sake of the game and for the sake of the story mm-hmm. uh which was fantastic and i <clears throat> love that social media uh has the ability for us to connect with with folks like that, as you said. There's you know certainly some some negative uh, attention that can, can that can arrive on social media, but it is um, a tool that is useful to to connect with folks who are, might be outside of your uh, you know direct view all the time. Um, and as long as you're being respectful and not you know demanding their responses or anything like that, you can really find uh, lots of great resources to make your game more inclusive and also just uh, you know a better game having more research i mean you have all the research that you put into it it feels like uh, a dungeon master can spend a little bit of time to to research that and really make um everyone at the table feel feel welcome it's good stuff yeah definitely well i think i think we're at we're, we're done i think we did it sarah we did it <laughs> we did it with no internet crashes and no internet crashes <laughs> no at all. we did it uh, so if folks want to find out about all the stuff you're doing as well as the appearances of, uh, you know, uh, characters that you've created on live streams or, or updates to the combat wheelchair, what's the best place that they can uh, go online to find that stuff? Uh, Twitter, for sure. Twitter is where I pretty much announce everything, do everything. Uh, that is at Mustangs, R-M-U-S-T-A-N-G-S-A-R-T. I had to spell it out like visually in my head then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm really bad at spelling sometimes. Um, But yeah, everything um, I do is on there, um, including, you know, the free downloads for the Combat Wheelchair, a bunch of Combat Wheelchair um, oriented subclasses, but you don't have to use the Combat Wheelchair in order to use them for your character. Um, They're all free as well. Um, And... Uh, I do other stuff for other games like The Witcher TTRPG, Cyberpunk TTRPG, Starfinder, and Pathfinder. You can find it all there. Recently, a Pathfinder book got announced um, that I have wrote uh, a whole, um, uh, what's it called? A whole accessibility shop and mobility aid shop in along with an NPC. Uh, So that was really cool and really fun. Um, And I think that comes out in September, but uh, it's 
all the relevant information is uh, on my Twitter. So yeah, pretty much everything's there. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining us. And I can't wait to uh, tell my wife uh, to use that font when she's making... Uh, lists for me to go to the store, the store because she does that thing where she does basically cursive straw handouts in script and I'm like is that oh, eggs no. or is that tofu I can't tell <laughs> <laughs> yeah awesome yeah great great advice great resources um, super appreciate the the work that you're doing and I think there's pro- so many people that, that are feeling represented and um, just you're making a big difference, I think, for a lot of people. So we're excited to see what's next for you. Thank you. So great to talk to Sarah. Uh, very creative. Um, I love that she's an advocate for um, uh, you know disability in the TRPG community, and yep. it's uh, always uh, you know great to highlight that creativity. And you know, here's to here's to more representation to that uh, you know in in the community as much as possible. Absolutely. And I think the community loves the work that, that she's doing. It was evidenced by the amount of questions that we had received uh, for her when people found out about this interview. And just like the, the work that, um, that they're putting out there is like, it's important and it's going to be there forever. And I, I hope. And um, yeah, well, that was really inspiring. Very inspiring, indeed. Yeah. Well, we are still gearing up Thanks, for uh, Candlekeep Mysteries. Uh, if you missed the pitch in the opening, uh, definitely check it out uh, when it drops on March 16th. Uh, there'll be more uh, tidbits and stories around each of the, uh, well, not each of them, but many of the, the adventures uh, so you can get a little bit more of a taste for what is in Candlekeep Mysteries. Um, but you, know, you can't go wrong with mysteries in the Library Fortress of the Forgotten Realms and one-shot adventures by uh, really awesome, you know, in some cases old, experienced designers and in some cases brand new uh, designers all working with Mr. Chris Perkins on, on, on that project. So good stuff all around. It'll be available March 16th, as I said, in various covers. The standard you can get everywhere and an alt cover you can only get through game stores. So... Uh, maybe you can pre-order uh, some of your WizKids minis and uh, a Candlekeep Mysteries alt cover at the same time. Do some curbside pickup. Curbside pickup. Did we talk about our new game store in West Seattle? We may have brought that up. No, we do there's a new one. Games. Yeah, it's called the Missing Peas. Oh no way! Uh, like just past Target in that that area, like towards. I don't think it's technically White Center, but it's heading in that direction. Oh, that's cool. I didn't know about that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm spoiled by having meeples like three blocks away from me. Um, I know. So nothing, uh, but I, it's always good to see new stores pop up, and I can't wait to to check it out. Maybe they got a different, uh, you know, vibe or 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 specialty in their in their stuff that meeples might not have. So cool. Yep. The more the merrier. More the merrier. Check out. The D&D Discord, as we said, we got virtual play weekends coming up. Uh, if you want to follow along what's happening in all of the D&D community, Twitter is a good way to do that. Wizards underscore D&D. Follow us on Facebook. There's also the Instagram, Wizards underscore D&D. But if you want to, you know, get to know us a little bit better, I'm at Greg Tito at Twitter and Greg underscore Tito on Insta. What about you, Shalemu? I'm Shalemu on Twitter and on Instagram. 
Uh, the so. kids call it Insta now. You don't need to say oh, the, the full gram. The, oh, sometimes I think they even call it the gram. The gram? I've never heard that. Or is that in re- reference to me being the grandma? Oh. I'm an Instagramma. That's Your Insta- oh, where that's, I'm, great. that's where you can find me. <laughs> Wait, Quinn's expecting? That's so great. Oh, <laughs> well, oh, that's a little no. shot into the future uh, that we all oh, just got. One day. One, one day. day. You will be an Instagramma. But, of course, uh, there is a little thing that we like to continue with which is our story of Drunky Two-Shoes yeah. and Daryl Two-Shoes. They've been reunited. They are on a boat uh, in the somewhat private bilge area and have just discovered that, or at least Drunky has just discovered, that Daryl believes there are an enclave, there is an enclave of doppelgangers within the city of Waterdeep. Uh, and he believes... Um, there is some nefarious actions going on. And that's where we left it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we'll, we'll go. We'll go towards Waterdeep. But I, I still don't understand what this has to do with you, Daryl. Why you have to be involved in this type of thing. I mean, just who cares? Can't we just go on and live our own lives? Just let it happen. We don't ever have to go to Waterdeep. Well, we as care? I said, I, I since we left each other in Chult, I've taken up with a group um, it's a bit of a secret group but we are always working towards bettering the situation of of the realms uh-huh. okay well, um, so first of all when we left each other in Chult is not exactly accurate because I didn't leave you you just abandoned me semantics but I believe uh, there was a, a zombie tyrannosaurus attack uh, that split our party um, Whatever. I, and uh, I, I, I was knocked unconscious. I don't remember much. I just remember waking up in the jungle and uh, not being able to find my sister. Okay. Well, I'm sorry that happened to you. But how do you know that this group of people that you've been working with are on the up and up? They are a storied organization uh, who have dedicated their lives, as I said, to... Uh, the betterment of the small folk, the, you know, the, 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 the cities of the Sword Coast. Um, I doubt you have heard of them, but uh, I can't share more without the approval of my superior. Well, I'm, I'm going with you to Waterdeep, so I'm, I'm, I'm in now. I'm part of it now. Well, be that as it may, uh, perhaps we will get that permission in person. That's probably okay. our first stop uh, when we reach Waterdeep. Fine, let's go. All right. Now we just have to convince your friend, Salazar, the pirate. Yes. Is he uh, speaking of whether or not they are on the up and up? What is your relationship oh. with him, dear sister? He's... He's helped me. He saved my life a few times. He abandoned his entire crew to help me. Yeah, he's he's loyal. He's my guy. He'll take us. Isn't that right, Salazar? <laughs> aye, aye, he says. See? To Waterdeep! Wait, what? 
Yeah, himself. we're going to Waterdeep. Uh, he says, no, we're not. What, what? <laughs> Hang on. What do you mean? <laughs> do you go up to talk to him or are you still yeah. yelling? No, no. I'm, now I'm going up. Okay, so what? a drunkie like scrabbles up, uh, you know, cat-like up the ladder <laughs> to get on top of deck. And uh, Salazar is there. He's got his kind of open uh, linen shirt uh, with his uh, muscles all on display, oh, his flowing meow. blonde hair in the wind as he's uh, steering his uh, little skiff uh, here. And he's generally going north uh, along the coast um, and you've made a good distance in the uh, hour or so <laughs> since your your altercation with the other boat and the rescue of, of, of uh, Daryl. But he says, no, we're not. we're not going to Waterdeep. Are you crazy? No, why? What, what, why? What do you mean? What do you care? Where, where, where do you think we're going? You do know what I do for a living, correct? I mean, you're like an importer of goods? No. I, 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 import? No, I, I stay away from ports. I don't go to ports. Oh, um, yeah. What, why can't we go to Waterdeep? Let's just say the last time I was there, I was threatened with uh, death at the hands of the City Watch. Just okay. throwing that well, out there. Can you just drop us off? I and can then drop we'll you never bother you again. Where? Where are we? Uh, you're, you're not sure? He doesn't know either? We are on the sea. Where oh, would you, you like, like me to drop oh, you off? Oh, you mean like you're just going to like let me off here in the middle of the ocean? I mean, it seems silly that I've wasted so much energy and uh, double-crossed my, my business partners to just uh, leave you here. But if you are talking about making me steer my, my, the ship into a hostile port, well, that's where our paths will uh, fail to cross. No, no, no. I, 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 I just want to get as close to Waterdeep as possible. Can you help me? Make me a persuasion check. Uh, I am very persuasive. Let's see. Oops, 13. 13 total? Mm-hmm. Okay. That's with a plus five bonus. Oh. Uh, he says, fine, but you need to do something for me. Okay. And that's where we'll leave it. See what he asks of you next session. Okay. I love these little five-minute sessions. We'll see what happens. There's so much drama. All right, everybody. Well, we'll find out what happens next week. Bye.